The kingdom of God has something to do with things that are lost. Isn't that interesting? Do you lose things? Do you misplace things easily or am I alone? Do you ever hunt for your keys or your sock and ask Jesus if he's not otherwise occupied to help out, right? Do you ever say a quick prayer to St. Anthony when you are desperate? Or do you find these stories really annoying? Who risks 99 for one? Who sweeps up the room to find a coin, then spends lavishly on her friends? Well, apparently God does. God is like a shepherd, we hear. God is like a woman, we hear. So in watching the beginning of the remembrances for Queen Elizabeth in the UK, it is striking to me how an overwhelmingly non-religious people accept the medieval pomp and circumstance that we Episcopalians reserve for church as a part of their national and political life. Strange enough that we do it in here, probably. The closest we might get in our country are maybe judges' robes or military or police uniforms, but even those are pretty austere. Our public shared life looks like business. Clearly business is what we care about. The queen and her family don costumes with fur and swords for parades or processions, we would call them, which will never end on a medieval battlefield, but point to an imperial history dressed as sacred and ancient and unchanging. Now, it has to do with us only because the head of the Church of England, the monarch, is often the most well-known Anglican layperson in the world. In our church, the head of a fellow church in our communion of churches is of interest to us. The defender of the faith, they are called, which means a defender of the sacraments, not a follower of Luther at the time, a believer in grace manifest in ritual and ceremony. And many in a church like ours are Anglophiles, by interest and some by heritage, fascinated and caught up emotionally in the lives of the British royal family. So for some of us today, this change is momentous. For some, they are a a reminder of a brutal imperial history, that's true in this room as well, and for some, a quirk of Europe in the news cycle. So I am struck by how many people who were clear that they are not religious, definitely not Christians, use religious language for the queen. She is to them what goodness and rightness looks like, no matter how little they know of her or what scandalous things we might know, as close as they might get to someone godlike. Which takes us back to our readings and the way that Jesus has of upsetting what we all naturally tend to do. All of us live in systems of prestige and power and aspiration in our day-to-day. There is the doctor if you're at the hospital, the principal or the dean at your school, the C-suite in your office, the people who are in charge, and maybe that's you. Wherever you are, there are people like that. And even if you know that these are just people like you doing the best they can, it seems a part of human nature that we try to be like them. We try to please them, try to make our way towards that power, like the attraction of the queen. So of course, I am excluding rectors from this scenario. (laughs) So the stories of Jesus are told to challenge that in us, the desire to imitate, to please, 
to define ourselves, to understand something about ourselves in relationship to power in this world. You can see how this would work for race and gender and class and all of the outside things that can define us and determine people's lives. The idea of right ways and wrong ways, the, way, the ways to be that work easily in the world we live in and the ways that will make life so much harder. Jesus says, take a shepherd. Now, I can't deliver this as well as it makes me laugh inside, but some scholars say that that's right up there with saying something like we might have said in Texas, like Bubba walks into a sheep pen, <laughs> right? Shepherds are God in our church, note the mural, but note the radical nature of this image. As one of you said to me not too long ago, that's supposed to be Jesus? Yes, the good shepherd is Jesus, or rather, it says today something like the kingdom of God is like a shepherd. But yes, how unexpected. God is like that guy, hunting around in the rocks and undergrowth for a sheep that has gotten lost, the separated one. A modern day shepherd recently wrote a reflection, which you're gonna hear about from me often because I find it so compelling. But he wrote on this passage based upon getting a new dog. He sent his sweet puppy outside where the sheep were and just forgot to call him back, right? He was new. So when he remembered the sheep were a mess, that puppy had barked and run them ragged because he wasn't ready. <laughs> he didn't know how to do the thing he was bred to do yet. It was a mistake. And of course, they had to check if any of the sheep were missing. In the shepherds looking around for that sheep, he finds her hiding in the brush, shaking, alone, terrified, and stuck on a bit of a ledge from which she could not see the rest of the herd to return, or the flock, I guess. God is like that shepherd we read today who finds her and is horrified by the mistake, that silly dog, the life almost lost, the shaking, dear, broken thing. And don't we all want power to be like that? Don't we all want the powerful to see us and to care for the most vulnerable? to rein us in if we are causing harm, to go out seeking the lost? Shouldn't we want power to be used for that? God is like that, Jesus says, like that. Or a woman who has lost a valuable thing, a treasure. You are like a treasure. People are so valuable. The God who needs nothing needs you and will sweep up the dust and turn on that battery-draining light on the iPhone and keep looking after everyone says, please sit down for dinner and search and search like a fixated person, not caring what others think for you, for the lost, for the outcast, for the criminalized, for the doomed. When you're looking at the most powerful in your world and changing yourself to be like them, when you're losing your way, when all you can hear is the barking and yipping of insecurities and immaturity and bias and fear and temptation, when it has taken you to a ledge upon which you are sure you are alone, God will meet you there, we hear today, and in compassion bring you home. These times of profound conflict in our world are also times of possibility for the most profound kinds of healing for restoration, for creating new ways to be. The old festering wounds are opened up again, and they are foul, 
and it is for us to try again to learn what healing and restoration could be. Today in the forum and in the panel after church, we are talking about redemption and restoration in the most concrete of ways, people subject to the criminal justice system in our country or vulnerable to it, quite literally the most cast out and lost, for whom there is no straightforward return, and for some, the doom of death row. Living quite concretely in this space where grace abides, beyond our rationality, our fears, our logic, given of God for the healing of soul and body, heart and mind. The gift of a seeking God, written of as a fool, a criminal among criminals, hung on a cross. The heart of our faith, a gathering laborer, calling us home to God. From here we build anew, reorient reorienting ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be like the one who seeks us, to be seekers together, truth-tellers, healers, defenders of the faith.